0: Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> Calling me a musician after that band playing is like saying I'm a good chef because I can microwave a mean Hot Pocket. <laughs> um, I play some music occasionally. Um, so welcome to Sunday, December 29th, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. Do um, you know what? the There's something that the Sunday after Christmas and the first quarter of a Duke football game have in common as the only, only the true fans are there. So congratulations. I'm kidding. If you felt elated at that, then um, I've got some good news for you about justification in Christ. I'm kidding. Now I invite you to turn if you have your Bible or turn your app on or it will be on the screen behind me to the book of Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 3. Through 11. This is God's word good, beautiful, and true. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you do not leave us in this world to flail about in the darkness to wonder who we are and who you are, but that you have revealed to us in your scriptures and uh, most clearly in Jesus Christ who you are and what that means for us. I pray in these moments by your Holy Spirit that you would press the truth of your gospel down deeply into our hearts that you would reveal to us the beauty of jesus that we may love him all the more and conform us transform us into his image it's in his name we pray amen so 2020 starts in a couple days um but before we get there i want you guys to travel back with me in your like mind palace delorean time machines to april of this year april 10th and and You might remember this happening. This was big news for a couple of days. The Event Horizon Telescope. Does anybody remember that? The Event Horizon Telescope. I got a couple of nods at the morning service, but um, I won't call you to, you know, tell me what you think it is. The Event Horizon Telescope. um, So on April 10th, in the news everywhere, was this composite photograph of a black hole. And this was big, big news in the scientific community. Because up until... This year, black holes were assumed to be there. Astrophysicists for years had said there have to be be black holes because our equations do not work out otherwise. So they posited, okay, something called a black hole exists. But for years, all we had were fringe evidences and guesstimates. But April 10th, the Event Horizon Telescope Photo was published everywhere, and we had this composite photograph of a black hole. There it was, confirming so many theories. And it's going to change the future for scientific research. It's going to change textbooks across the board. This was big news for a day. For most of us, unless you're an astrophysicist, April 11th was not much different from April 10th. This big, earth-shattering scientific news made the news cycle for a little less than 24 hours, and I'm sure on the 11th, the president tweeted something, and that took over the news cycle. Last Wednesday, just a few days ago, we celebrated Christmas. And I don't know if you stopped to think about it, but step back and consider with me some of the massive claims that we make at Christmas. We say that Jesus Christ, the baby we celebrate on Christmas, is God who has become a human being. God has become a human being. And that this baby goes on to live and he faces down the power of sin, the devil, and death. He faces down, he he puts an eviction notice out there to the false powers of this world and he defeats them all. That the baby we celebrate on Christmas is the man on the cross that we mourn on Good Friday. It's the man that erupted in victory from the grave on Easter. And that because of all of this, Sin and death will not be the end for us either. These are huge claims. This is massive. This is much bigger than a composite photograph of a black hole. But after our Christmas celebrations ended, and maybe even on Christmas day, we quickly realized we are still in a world of cancer diagnoses. We're still in a world of systemic oppression left and right. We're still in a world of individual failure a world where death and sin seem very much still to be in power, where there is not peace on earth. There's an uncomfortable tension here, and I hope you feel it. And the question put to us is this, how do we live lives founded on the transforming truth of Jesus Christ in a world that screams at us to believe lesser things? How can we keep Christmas and the truth that we celebrate there from being like this picture of a black hole, big and significant, but gone tomorrow? Now, I think our passage actually addresses this head-on in a way that I think is helpful and freeing. And what I think we'll see is this, and if you need to nap, I know it's been a hard week. This is my one big point, so you can write this down and clock out for 20 minutes. I, I will not be offended, I promise. It's this, the kind of change that needs to happen in our hearts, the kind of change that needs to happen in our world, can only happen through the empowering presence of God and His Holy Spirit. It can only happen through the empowering presence of God, God with us, God for us, God within us. And because of this, we can live our lives in confidence, knowing that God will supply all that we need, and knowing that he will work in his grace far beyond any of our abilities. So let's look at our passage and we'll see this good news. Um, we'll look at it from four sub points. And the first one's this. It is not enough to be right. It is not enough to be right. Let's set the scene for our passage this morning. It's the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has risen from the dead and the apostles are gathered around him. This is the exciting days after his resurrection. He's appearing to people, and for these 40 days, the apostles get a front-row seat to the very best ministry uh, training in history. This is the gold standard. It's 40 days of Jesus Christ, the king of God's kingdom, telling them what God's kingdom is about. This is the gold standard. And then he orders them to do something. Look at the text again. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but what? Wait. Now, for me, this is a little bit surprising. Why wait? Why not send them charging into the world? This feels a little bit like a coach giving his team a halftime speech and then telling them to stay in the locker room, which may have been what happened to Oklahoma yesterday. He tells them to wait because it is not enough to be right. Now, we like to think otherwise. We like to think that if we get our doctrine exactly right, if we get our blueprints for ministry straight, that we can head out into this world and almost push play and watch transformation happen automatically. But that's not how it goes. Jesus makes this clear in verse 7, after they asked Jesus about when he'll restore the kingdom, and he says this, It is not for you to know. Times or seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. Jesus does not say that this knowledge is unavailable. He says that it's not for them. But think about it. How great would it be for planning? I'm a church planter. How great would it be if we knew exactly when Jesus was going to come back? I could then do a budget, I could parse out exactly how much money I need to. Put to every piece of the mission, I could raise that exact piece of money. It would be wonderful p- for planning, it would be fantastic. but it's not for them to know because this following Jesus in the world in this world is not about knowing the most stuff. I wish it was. I wish I could make change happen in this world. I wish I could make change happen in my own heart by collecting the most true facts. like a game of spiritual trivial pursuit, where if I can just memorize enough Bible verses, If I could just read another theology book, then I could be a really great witness for Jesus. But that's a deadly lie. And it leads to a horrible fear. What if we're found out that we don't know something? It leads to intellectual snobbery. We look down on those who don't know as much as we do. So let me tell you, being right and knowing all the right things is not enough. And that leads us to our second point. It's this. It's not enough to have good intentions. It's not enough to have good intentions. Back to our passage. Jesus has been teaching them about the kingdom of God, and now he says to wait. Why? Because the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to them. So they get excited, and rightly so. God is sending the Holy Spirit to them, and they ask Jesus in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is not nationalistic fervor taking over. This is not make Israel great again. This is them asking this question because they know that God's Holy Spirit means life in this world of chaos and emptiness. And they know that God's kingdom means justice and peace, means things will be made right. They know what Jesus said about his own ministry. Way back in the book of Luke chapter four, Jesus is preaching at his hometown synagogue for the first time and he tells them what, he, what I would call Jesus' mission statement. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so when Jesus tells the apostles that he's sending them the Holy Spirit, they get excited because this means that the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to this mi- mission, to this ministry, is going to be given to them. The disciples were longing for justice. So they asked Jesus, who has conquered death and his resurrection, since you are sending us the Holy Spirit, does that mean that justice is going to happen now? Does that mean that you're going to be making all things right Now, how long, O Lord? These are the best, the very best of good intentions. But the truth is, the kind of change that needs to happen in our hearts, in our world, cannot happen through our good intentions. And this may sound odd to us in the passage, but Jesus tells them that ultimate justice, the restoration of the kingdom in their words, um, is going to be delayed. Not because of wicked reasons, not because God is in collusion with sin in the world, but ultimate justice is being delayed so that God's grace might shine here. That this is what will happen as the apostles are witnesses to his gospel locally and globally. Because we know if we search our hearts, there's none righteous. We're all victims and perpetrators of sin, violence, and selfishness. But God in his mercy does not simply want to visit this world with judgment. He intends to create a community of witnesses that are bound together by his grace. And he intends to fling the doors of his kingdom wide open and invite people to lay down their arms against him and come in. And he tells them that God's glory will not only be seen in justice being visited upon sin, but ab- but ab- but by the godly, the ungodly, sorry, and wicked us people just like us, being shown grace. You know, I really wish that we could bring about change just by getting our motivations right. That if we had enough compassion, that if we had enough love, that then we would see the kind of change we want to see. We think that about our intimacy with God, or at least I do. If I only loved God more, I'd really grow as a Christian. If I only loved God more. I wouldn't struggle with sin. But that too is a deadly lie. It's a mindset that leads to hiding because what we do is we fake it till we make it until we realize that we're just faking it. Because if we're convinced that the real source of our frustration is that we're just not loving enough, then we will cover up and hide behind masks of false love. We'll turn the gospel of freedom into a mask to hide behind or we'll look down our noses at those who aren't as plugged in as we are. Now, don't get me wrong. A huge part of what it means to follow Jesus in this world is a growing longing in the depth of our being for justice and righteousness here. Part of becoming more Christ-like is becoming more compassionate. We identify with oppressed people of the world. We use what resources we have to love others well. This longing for justice is one with godly roots. And don't let anyone, even preachers who tell you it's a distraction from the pure gospel, tell you otherwise. But let me tell you this. Your good intentions are not enough. And this leads me to my third point. It's not enough to work as hard as you can. Look at verse 8. Jesus tells them "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission that Jesus has for his disciples is no small thing, and it's too big for them. Whether it's the 11 apostles that are gathered there that day, the 3,000 that are added to the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, or the 2.2 billion people who identify as Christians today, the mission is simply too big. And if we try to do God's mission in our own power, it's like trying to run a regular unleaded car on diesel. It'll get a part way down the road, but it's going to sputter out and ruin the entire engine. But we like to think that if we just work harder, if we really work at it, that everything will be as it should be. If there were only more hours in the day or more days in the week, or if we were only more organized or we had more energy, that if we could figure out the right formula, we'd have maximum impact on the world. But that too is a deadly lie because we run out of steam, we burn out, we waste away, fatigue sets in. We wind up spinning our tires and we become embittered because we cannot do it all, but we aren't intended to. God doesn't ask us to repent for being limited God does not ask us to repent from not being able to do it all. He asks us to repent for trying to. So let me tell you this. Your hard work is not enough. Because the kind of change that needs to happen in this world, the kind of change that needs to happen in my heart and in yours, can only happen through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Whereas my fourth point says, it is enough to depend on on Jesus, it is enough to depend on Jesus. Maybe you remember the name Elizabeth Holmes in her uh, company Theranos. It was big in the news this year. There's a documentary, a couple podcasts. It was really good. I'm 36 years old, so I'm an old millennial, and I remember a few years ago Elizabeth Holmes was like our Steve Jobs. Everybody, she even dressed like Steve Jobs. And she had the backstory. She dropped out first year at Stanford because she had this incredible idea that was going to change the world. She said that she had developed technology and was developing a device that could make instant diagnoses on a couple of drops of blood. And so instead of you having to go to a Quest Diagnostics and then draw your blood and they have to send it off, and six weeks later you find out you've got six diseases, they could take two pinpricks of your finger at a Walgreens and in five minutes, you'd have a diagnosis of what's wrong with you. That would have changed the world, not just for us here, but can you imagine we send those out to war-torn countries and they can find out immediately what's wrong with them? Here's the problem though. It was a fraud. They never developed a working machine. But they kept at it. They hired the best scientists. They hired the best designers. They worked long hours and they pushed and they were apparently convinced that if they worked hard enough for long enough, that the technology would catch up with their claims. But it wasn't enough in the end and they were exposed as frauds. The company was sued into oblivion and Elizabeth Holmes is facing the possibility of jail time. Now I'm afraid that we as individuals and as churches, often act like Elizabeth Holmes. We have a seemingly impossible mission in this world, and all of our power and knowledge and good intentions keep falling short, but what do we do? We keep our heads down, and we barrel through. We think, if I push hard enough for long enough, it'll be enough. But we secretly live in fear that we'll be exposed, that we'll be shown as frauds, that we really aren't as smart or as good or as powerful as we seem. But we don't know the half of it because we aren't nearly smart enough or good enough or powerful enough to fulfill this mission. Feel encouraged yet? But here's the good news. The exceptionally wonderful good news that God does not just give us good ideas. He doesn't just give us good advice or ten simple ways to maximize your effectiveness or rules for radicals when it comes to living our lives in this world. God gives us himself. God gives us himself. And so the work that began with Jesus continues in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The God who so loved the world that he gave his only son for us continues to love the world by giving his Holy Spirit, which fills the church across all of its diversity, uniting us to one another. And we, small creatures, sinful, rebellious, selfish, weak, and limited, we find ourselves swept up into the life of God And so we don't get good advice. We get him as our source, our never-ending fountain of life and goodness, our source for flourishing and thriving in this world. And so we are invited to fling the doors of our hearts open, fling the doors of our homes and our churches as wide open as Jesus has flung the doors of the kingdom and invite people into this grace. And that's what it means for us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means for us to receive power from the Holy Spirit. The God who's revealed at Christmas as God with us in Emmanuel, the God who's revealed at Easter as God for us, is revealed by the Holy Spirit as God within us. And that is enough. So hear me clearly. Our knowledge is important. Our motivations are important. Putting our energy toward the task of valuing what God values in this world is important. But all of those are fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the root. They are not the root. They are the fruit, the source that actually transforms our minds, our hearts, and our wills. It's God's empowering presence by His Holy Spirit. So the story of the gospel going out, the story of lives and communities transformed, the story of us finding our individual stories swept up into this grand story of God's redemption is the story of God's Holy Spirit bringing life to dead places. And we are made new. This is what the scriptures say. We are made new by the Holy Spirit, spiritually alive. We are bound together with one another. We are continuously guided back to Jesus. Time and time again, we are told that we are God's children. With us, he is well pleased. We are prompted to pray. We are grown into people who are identified by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this means that we need not fear our limitations as individuals and we need not fear our limitations as a church because it is not about how impressive or how resourced or how motivated or how smart we are. It is about Jesus who continues to pursue us in his love. So the story of this church, the story of Christ Central Church, is not just the story of a church filled with wonderful people and staff that work really hard to do things for the glory of God and the good of Durham. The story of the Become initiative will not be a story of a well-developed to your plan, though it is a well-developed to your plan, to leverage resources and relationships to maximize impact in Durham. It's not about you knowing a lot of stuff or feeling a lot of stuff or doing a lot of stuff, though it includes all those things. The story of this church is the story of God's Holy Spirit creating life right here in Durham, renewing hearts and minds. It's the story of God's baffling, troubling, wonderful, amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? What are some takeaways? There's a couple hundred I'm sure I could list, but I will not, I will list four. The first one's this, as a church, Bathe absolutely everything in prayer. And I know I'm supposed to say this because I'm a pastor, but I mean it 100%. Bathe absolutely everything in prayer. Make it a priority to pray for all the ministries of this church on a regular basis. Pray with each other. Pray for each other. Maybe get a church directory if there is one or just make a list of all the other members you know in this church or the people that attend here and make a commitment to pray for them and their needs regularly. Maybe not every day, but make it a priority. Why? Because God answers prayers. Number two, and to go along with this, don't just pray. Pray with confidence and trust God with the results. The reality of Jesus Christ means that we can and we should expect good things from God. He has revealed His purposes for us in Christ. And that is a commitment. The God of the universe is committed to showing us the immeasurable riches of His grace now and forever. Now, it's not always the good things that we want or the good things that we necessarily think should come our way. But the revelation of God in Jesus Christ means we can and should expect good from our Father. Number three, in your personal life and as a church, do not make an idol out of knowing more stuff or doing more stuff, or feeling more stuff. All of those are great. Study. Ask how you can use your time, money, and treasures for the glory of God and the good of others. But do not fall prey to the dangerous idea that you or y'all are the ones ultimately responsible for the lives of others. Remember, we are witnesses of Jesus, not witnesses of ourselves. And fourth and finally, get at it get to work. In Jesus, we are set free from the need to earn our righteousness before God or before human beings. And that means that we are now freed up to live lives of love and flourishing, knowing that God is at work within us and in this world to transform. So we need not, like the disciples, wait in Jerusalem before the Holy Spirit comes, because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So from that source of gospel worthiness, let's go out into this world. Let's get at it because the, the, Jesus is wonderful and the gospel is true. So let's love without fear. Let's hope without hedging our bets. The God who called all things into, his, into being by his word and he upholds all things by his word has sent his word out through the church, through you. And that means that he is at work. And that is very good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news, that we are not left alone in this world, that you've not given us this task that's, uh, that, that we have to die on the vine chasing after, but that you invite us into this never-ending richness and goodness, the life of God in Christ, that we can find you as our source of strength, that we, you, we can find you as our source for love. So I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would change us, you would transform us that you would make us motivated toward you and toward others, and that you would receive the glory in all of this. I pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus.